gentlemen, welcome back to the 1099. I'm your host, Joseph Noop, and I hope you're staying warm and cozy as the holiday draws near. And I'm glad you're here with us, as always. I'm joined this week by a dear friend and colleague in games media. You know her from her hard work over at Game Informer, and now she's a games reporter for Launcher, aka the goddamn Washington Post. Elise Favis, it is so good to hear from you again. How are you? Hi, I'm good. So happy to be here. Yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> the I had a I have a friend uh, who works, I believe, in like Wapo's uh, graphic design department or something to that effect, and he hit me up and uh, said like, oh, you know, we're we're making this thing. Apparently, Wapo is making this thing called Launcher. Like, you should totally apply. And the cards weren't right for me, especially considering I had just moved to Los Angeles. But uh, I was like. I bet I'm going to see one of my friends end up here. <laughs> and yeah. and lo and behold, uh, not just you, but also uh, Gene Park, who was on the show about maybe two months ago talking about Evangelion when the show kind of relaunched on Netflix and he wrote a really beautiful uh, kind of uh, little personal essay piece about his depression and how Evangelion helped him through that, mm-hmm. or at least helped him recognize his problems. So folks, if, you, if you're interested in more general Washington Post stuff, you can always check out that episode too with Gene Park. But yeah, uh, you know, it, long and winding road, there's no easy way to start a conversation like this, I guess. You, we, we are two birds of the same feather. Yes. We both started out as Game Informer interns. I think you were maybe a year before me or something to that effect? Yeah, I was... Or were you, you weren't after me. No, 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 I, I was before you, but I think just like maybe two terms, maybe even one term before you. Um, I remember you, you came on pretty soon after me. So I was in I was in 2015. What year were you? I was late 2015. Yeah. Ah, okay. I know, there you go. I I know Alyssa and two other guys got the like summer-ish internship. Yes. So uh, and then I got the winter with Marcus and Parker. Got it. And I uh, got to see uh, Reiner cry about Star Wars: Force Awakens <laughs> at the end of my internship, which was great. Yeah, of course but... he did. Well, well, yeah. So uh, obviously, the we've talked about it with JB. We talked about it with Ben Hansen. Uh, The the Game Informer layoffs were their uh, own unique sort of tragedy, uh, as as Jeff Gersman once called Andy McNamara the the load bearing wall of games journalism. Uh, some of that, some of that started to crumble a bit when I guess almost half of Game Informer, of course, was laid off. Uh, just to give us a bit of background before we dive into Washington Post stuff, uh, what, how did that feel? And were you, were you in Gamescom with JV at the same time? No, I wasn't in Gamescom. I had actually, the day it happened, I was working from home, uh, working on my review of Man of Medan. <laughs> and, uh, I had left my place, uh, to go to a therapy appointment, actually. <laughs> mm. Um, and I was just getting out of my car in the parking lot. Uh, opened up my phone and noticed all of these messages coming in um, about layoffs uh, from coworkers. Like Matt Burtz had texted me, and at that time I'd only known like uh, that Kyle was laid off, uh, Serial was laid off, and 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 Matt Burtz also. Um, and at the time I thought it was just contained to them three. The thing was there's so much mass confusion as this was going on because it was so abrupt and sudden. I mean none of us knew. Um, Mm-hmm. Really, like n- none of a, none of the editorial staff had any idea. I mean, we we knew GameStop was struggling financially. You can't you can't ignore that. Um, we knew that there were going to be some sort of changes or some sort of cuts, but we didn't think 
um, that there would be such a large scale um, layoff that would happen. Um, so that was that was a surprise, and it was a bad surprise. Uh, yeah. And I I remember when I had just only found out about those three at first, I was already so devastated because I was like, oh, I love my boss. I'm so sad that he's not going to be there. I love Kyle. I love Serial, and they don't deserve this. And um, and then the the more news just kept trickling in, and then you know it was JV, and then and then finally I got a call um, saying that I too was laid off. Uh, and it really felt like my world was kind of just crashing down on me. Um, it was, I don't know, I don't even have words for it. Because Game Informer felt like such, if it was such an incredible opportunity for me. I Before that, I was, you know, working on my journalism degree at Concordia University in Montreal and... Um, I had been hired on before I'd even finished my degree, and I was working remotely for Game Informer, and I, I felt like they had took, taken this big leap of faith with me. Um, they knew me as an intern, they liked my work, and I had done some freelance gigs, but, you know, um, it, it was it was a huge, huge leap for me, and I, I loved every second of it, and I made these really amazing lifelong friends along the way, um, <clears throat> but... Yeah, so for this to happen in such a very unceremonious way was um, very difficult. I bet. And, you know, I, just, I guess it has to obviously hit other games media people perhaps a little more heavily. Uh, one, because some of us actually uh, went through Game Informer in some respect, uh, you know, dozens of interns at this point. Um, uh, mm-hmm. other people within the industry, like, you know, Dan Riker now works for Giant Bomb, uh, Mike Mahardy works for GameSpot, etc. Uh, it, it wasn't just a joke when someone like Jeff Gersman calls Andy Mack, uh, the load-bearing wall of games journalism. There was, there was this sense that, like, I, man, Game Informer, you know, it, it's a magazine, and that's, that's always got to be a tenuous kind of reality, but, it can't go away, right? And, right. And yeah. I think what's so interesting about Game Informer is it's this, it's for a long time now, it's been this weird, like fascinating anomaly, I guess, you know, in, in games media, because it it is mainly a magazine, you know, and we had the website and we did video account, we had the podcast and all that, you know, but the biggest money that was coming in was from the magazine and we had a circulation of like 7 million, you know? Um, yeah. It was just so unheard of in this day and age. And what's crazy to me is we weren't, we, you know, we weren't slowing down. Like we weren't, we, we weren't doing poorly. GameStop, you know, GameStop, our parent company was doing poorly, but like yeah. we were doing great, you know? And I think that's what made it all the more frustrating is like we were this like amazing dedicated team that was actually bringing in revenue and and they and they cut us down anyway and i i think i think that also really hurt you know maybe there maybe there's a conversation to be had uh i I don't know if this podcast is the right place for it or not but i I talked with jv a little bit about uh just at, at the time i talked to jv uh uh Deadspin was starting to crumble yeah. and their staff was starting to, you know, resign in protest of the 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 machinations of the, you know, millionaire owners who who were trying to 
uh, vulture, <laughs> vulture, uh, I forget what the vulture commerce or vulture capitalism or whatever they were trying to do, you know, make a buck, uh, with a, with a tighter staff and less resources and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, in the case of Game Informer, it never felt like they were falling behind or like failing to keep up with the times. And actually, that's that's large part thanks to people like you and JV and Suriel, uh, all this a new generation of writers who, you know, you all have your own stories to tell, and you were all able to uh, illustrate, you know, either your lives or the lives of other game developers uh, or games culture people in really meaningful ways. And it, it did help Game Informer really grow from just, you know, another previews, reviews, news kind of outlet into something that could be bigger and better and keep up with, you know, the, the growing demand for like, well, games are meaningful and we want more meaningful coverage of them. So I guess what between you and JV and Surreal and the, the younger people who had only been there for you know, several years, I, what, what, do you, what do you feel like were the biggest lessons you took from your time with Game Informer as a, as a person or as a, as a writer, you know? Yeah. Totally. Um, yeah, that's a really interesting question. I think, I think you put it really well in terms of Surreal, JV and I and, and Leo and um, that group was very much, I think, like the next generation of Game Informer. Um, y- you know, um, looking at what Game Informer taught me, honestly, it taught me everything. Uh, it, <laughs> from, you know, managing my time efficiently to working in a team environment to, you know, um, this very deadline-driven job, uh, this media landscape that we live in, right? Um, but I think what was great was um, there was this very loose hierarchy, I guess, at Game Informer, where whether you're an editor or writer or whatever, um, well, actually, scrap that. Um, there were, <laughs> none of us were, <laughs> none of us were just staff writers. I mean, that was nobody's job title. We were all editors, and that just meant that you would spend half of your time editing content, half your time writing content. So it felt like every all all of the role all the roles were kind of evenly divided um and it really gave everyone a chance to grow and try new things um like like kyle did you know some video editing on the side and things like that so i think that was great um it also just helped me hone skills like review review writing which honestly i hadn't done a whole lot of before that um it helped me find my voice uh i think especially because Game Informer had content that was often very personality-driven. Um, <clears throat> it, it gave me a chance to talk about um, personal stories tied to how I feel about video games, like my piece on um, Hellblade and chronic illness. So I think that really helped me like assert myself as a writer, um, also find like-minded people through social media and kind of like Build, build up an audience there and things like that. Um, so it, it, it was this very big stepping stone for me. Um, and I've brought a lot of that to the Washington Post, I think, for sure. It, it's funny you mentioned that too, just uh, the being able to 
work with a team and really grow in some of those initial, more meaningful ways. Uh, I imagine a lot of that was probably at first through your internship and then, of course, later on when you were brought on as uh, associate editor. Uh, when when I had my internship, I guess only you know a number of months after you, that, that to me, I, I still tell people, like I think the most valuable thing I got out of that was just learning what the day-to-day process was like and like being able to coordinate on some level what uh, how with with other editors and and make a product happen like that right Uh, because it college is one thing you're working with a lot of other young inexperienced people and you're kind of playing pretend with the guidance of some professors you know who are bouncing in and out but the game informer internship was like my first real taste of like you get up 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. meeting every day, and all right, everyone, you know, break like a like a football team. Let's break and get to work. Uh, and I think I think that helped really set uh, a mentality in me of like a- Andy Mack always said something like, "There's there's the the features work, and then there's the shoveling the coal work." And thankfully, I, I managed to get experience doing both. And you know, now I I, I get to be IGN's weekend editor. I get to be uh, a contributor for PC Gamer. And I don't think I would have gotten here this fast without that, like, day-to-day experience, I think, right? Oh, yeah. I think the internship, especially, is such a good place for, like, young writers to get a glimpse of of how games media operates from the inside, you know? And that's how I felt, too, during the internship, was it was like this little, little peek inside this world that I had that I'd so desperately wanted to know more of and be a part of, you know? Um, <laughs> well, switching gears, uh, let's start to talk about Washington Post and Launcher. Uh, I think that jo- those job listings kind of started popping up, what, we're in December now. It was in I August. I think this was like yeah. a, like August, yeah, it was kind of like still, it was still warm here in LA, I remember. <laughs> uh <laughs> And and what did you think when you first saw that job listing? Did you immediately want to apply, uh, or was it a was it a matter of like, well, I gotta apply to everything because that's that's how games media works at this point? Uh, I applied the day after I got laid off. To be honest, it was a total whim, <laughs> and it was it was uh, I don't even know if I was taking it seriously at the time. I just sat down and I was like, well, I have to apply for jobs. The Washington Post is looking for someone for video games, and I was like, I don't think I'm gonna get that. Like, I I went in with very low expectations, and I'm honestly, I remember like sitting in a chair writing the cover letter and crying to be honest, because I I think I don't know. I think the major reason why I applied in the first place was because it it let me be nostalgic about Game Informer for a second uh, because I had to write about that in my cover letter and, yeah, and talk about imagine. all the things that I learned and what I would bring to, to WAPO. Um, so honestly, that's really like where my head was at. <laughs> uh, and I was like, well, I have to be productive and I have to apply to places. And I mean, Washington Post, that would be incredible. But So, you know, I applied, sent the email off, and then a few days later, I got this email in my inbox from Mike Hume, who is the... Um, director for Launcher (laughs) and he actually didn't know that I had already applied and he basically expressed expressed interest in like chatting with me about the job and we set up a phone interview and everything from there was like relatively quick I came down to Washington DC for uh, in-person interviews and that is interviews with like plural interviews (laughs) 
There yeah, were, I bet. <laughs> there were, oh my God, it was so intense. It was like six interviews with different um, editors for different departments at the Post. Uh, I don't think I've ever felt so nervous in my like whole life. I was on some level grateful that I was even being invited for a job interview, that they were even considering me. And on the other hand, I just, I don't know, I, I just couldn't believe that I that I was there and I knew that the stakes were high and um so I was so nervous I remember <laughs> I actually phoned JV up outside of the Washington Post like 10 minutes before I was stepping in and he gave me this like big pep talk and Aww. calmed me down and was like you got this don't worry and like just gave me that boost of confidence that I needed uh and uh, yeah, I, I went into the lobby and immediately, like, my heart started racing again because it's this very intimidating lobby <laughs> where it's just, like, marble walls and this huge, like, Wood, like, Woodward and Bernstein walked these halls. Right, yeah, and so I'm walking in and I'm like, oh my god, I don't, I don't know how I, I'm going to do this. And I go up to the security woman at the desk and I, you know, I introduce myself and I say why I'm there and I don't hear her. She says something, but I, I don't catch it. And I think, I don't remember what I had said. Um, oh, yeah, I said, oh, I, oh right, yes, I'm here. I'm here to see Mike Hume. And she says, no, your name. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, my name's Elise Babas. <laughs> I was just like, oh, this is such a bad start. Anyway, everything turned out fine, obviously, because I got here. <laughs> it's that it's that Midwest kind of uh, colloquial charm, butting heads with the like East Coast DC, like, no, I said your name. Yeah, and I think that was my first dose of like the the differences in in tone and 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 people here. Obviously, like you said, like the Midwest. I lived there for like three years, right? And I was so used to the, mm -hmm. to Minnesota nice, and uh, coming here, people are are more brash sometimes. But yeah. <laughs> do do people on the East Coast say "ope" whenever they bump into somebody? Definitely not. At least not from nope. what I've seen. <laughs> that is a weird I thing. Ever, I never did that. I mean, I'm Canadian. Ever, so, but. Yeah, you're Canadian, so I think maybe yeah, you escaped yes. that. But uh, every I, I catch myself now that someone on like Twitter, you know, made a joke about it. I catch myself every time. And be like, oh, I just said "ope" like some Humpty Dumpty like Midwesterner. Oh no. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta ask, uh, be it on the job application itself or like maybe during your series of interviews, uh, did, did it seem like Washington Post was asking for anything different than what you experienced when you were uh, getting the job at Game Informer? Like, cause Game Informer, as as professional and wonderful as it is. That is a place where all of you show up in, you know, your 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 jeans, your T-shirts, and like, of course, the <laughs> right. the whole place is decked out with geeky stuff. Wapo may or may not have a a different vibe. Um, did it seem like they were uh, asking for really tough, rigorous credentials, or was it more of like you know, stuff that you would kind of already accomplished in your time as a as an associate editor at GI? Um. So you mean when it comes to my skills? Well, just like what what did that job application say? Did it say like ten years of experience, you know, oh, required or something crazy okay. like that? No, it wasn't. Any, it wasn't anything crazy like that. It was. It, they asked for three years experience reporting. 
Um, oh, there you go. So I had the exact amount <laughs> that they needed. <laughs> uh, and they wanted someone who had video game knowledge and esports knowledge. Um, and they were also looking for someone who is capable of looking at video games through a more culture lens. So um, turned out that's what I love doing. So. Well, tell me, tell me about uh, what is the place itself like? I mean, I, I, I am a fan of Washington Post. I pay them, you know, I think like fifty to a hundred dollars a year for you know my subscription, and I, I gotta imagine the place is an entirely different world, you know, visually and and thematically than uh, a place like Game Informer, which is just like two floors on a Minnesota office. Uh, what, what's the place like and what are the, the people like there? Oh, it's so different. So different. Like Game Informer looks like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I love Game Informer, but it, and it has this very homey vibe. Like you can just walk in and you're like, you feel like you could just go chill on a couch. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, here, nah, you know, uh, it's, it's different. Um, it's, it's, it's a way bigger building and it's a way bigger company. You know, we have like hundreds of employees here. Um, it is a very modern, uh, office building. It's only a few years old. I'm not sure how many years, but it's not oh, cool. terribly old. They were at a different location before. So, um, it's got these gorgeous, glossy white walls, and uh these glass rooms actually i'm in one of them right now and um and and it's really cool because they have these like glass panels where um all these big headlines from the post's history are just like inscribed on on those walls so you have like nixon resigns for example you know um and it's really cool it's like the the style of the place is phenomenal um atmosphere wise um it's more professional than game informer and in terms of like i don't know it's not like it's not crazy different but i'm not going to show up in a t-shirt um but wearing sweaters and like black jeans has been my go-to right now uh and that seems fine it's you don't have to be terribly fancy at all um, some people, yeah. it really seems to depend from department to department. I've seen some people in the newsroom wearing like blazers, um, and then I see other people who are, you know, much more casual. So um, we're we're on, launcher is definitely more the, the more casual side. Tell me about the people. Uh, you know, Gene yeah. G- is obviously the only one I know, but there are uh, at least a couple other people on the launcher team. And what are the, what are they like? What's the kind of spirit that they're bringing to Wapo? So. Gene is is awesome. I, he's really funny, and uh, I'm really glad that I get to work with him. He was he's been with the Post for a number of years, um, mm-hmm. four or five years, and he, he was, was public editor for a while there. Yeah, yeah, he was like the Reddit guy, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so he already the, had the a, Reddit the Reddit AMA kind of guy. Yeah. Totally. He already had a pretty big following, and he already talked about video game culture quite a bit on like Twitter, and um, did some stuff on the side every once in a while like he wrote the spider-man review um when that came out so gene is great um and then we have mikhail who is the assignment editor um so he works with mike who's our director both mike and mikhail are 
the two editors, so we file our stories to them, and <clears throat> they go through it with us to make any changes. Um, and they also, what, what what's different here is there are, I'm trying to think of how to word this. Um, there are more, I guess at Game Informer, it was a, a mix of assignments and pitches that you would do, but when it came to features, you were never assigned anything, really, like, for the most part. It, it was almost always, like, your own brainchild and your idea mm -hmm. that you'd bring to fruition. Whereas here, there's more um, actual, like, features that get assigned to you. Um, so that that is definitely different in an adjustment. But, yeah, I'm still, there's still a lot of things that I pitch as well. Okay, sorry, going back uh, to the people. Uh, no, no, I... I... <laughs> <laughs> I, I was gonna say, like, I, I I certainly hope that yeah, there's still obviously opportunities oh, to pitch because yeah. it's it's obviously every person, every editor is different, and they're going to notice different things or be embedded in different communities. That's so. the thing. That's the thing is like we are such a small team. It's <clears throat> so yeah. I've got Mike and Mikhail as the editors. You got Gene and I as the two reporters, uh, and then you have Joe as the art director. And then you have John as the video editor. So we're six of us, and that's Launcher. <laughs> it's only six yeah. of us. And it's, that makes just two writers uh, to cover the entirety of the video game industry. It's, it's a lot. Um, but we have we have freelancers, which is cool. Um, working with freelancers isn't like something I've done before because we didn't do that at Game Form. We had our interns, but it's a little different here. Um, and, and that's been fun. So... Um, yeah, that the team itself is, it does feel a little bit like a mini game informer. Everyone is really kind and has really great ideas and we're all very ambitious and we care a lot about the work and we care about Launcher succeeding and um, so far I feel like I fit in really well. Um, so I'm enjoying that, basically. <laughs> Well, let's talk a little bit about the the launcher you know, slash Washington Post mission. Uh, obviously, like so when I when I started freelancing, my very first like gig was just doing freelance features for uh, Playboy of all places, and I got really oh, spoiled yeah. on that. You and, were like the Playboy I, guy too, and I also did stuff for Playboy. I, I remember, yeah, seeing you, and I know like a, a, a several like I think maybe like Aaron Garst uh, yeah. and probably several other freelancers were all like familiar with probably all got their start there and that was a very spoily kind of experience because mike rougeau the editor there would pay you like 300 dollars for uh, a thousand word feature and i'm like oh wow this is great and then and then you go somewhere else and they're like how's five dollars sound oh no <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but uh i i really appreciated my time working with playboy because mike really did a good job of instructing me and i'm sure other writers to like Hey, if your if your sixty year old dad can't understand this story, why should the Playboy audience understand it? You know, because it's a very broad, general like you know, men's interest or culture kind of magazine or website. And with Wapo, of course, you're you're probably not going to be approaching the game industry perhaps as with as many insider baseball terms or uh, perspective as Game Informer, right? Uh, so how how is Wapo when you got when you have conversations with Gene or your bosses there? Uh, what kinds of conversation? What do the conversations sound like when you're saying like, well, what is our what is our games coverage going to look like? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, we. I think we have to strike a very careful balance there. Um, we are writing for Washington Post readers, but we're also writing to inform people who play video games and who are interested in the industry, right? Mm-hmm. I think what we're trying to do with our approach is tackle video games coverage in a way that doesn't feel so insular. And I think I look at games media and... Yeah, so often there are so many inside baseball terms you can be lost if you don't follow that kind of news regularly. Um, So I think we want to be accessible, um, but also like informative enough that we're reaching that core video game audience as well. Uh, And I think we do that best when we are tying video game news or reviews to culture or real world events or um, trends. I think like Jean wrote this really great piece about um, about Kirby, uh, about like the name, about, about the guy, like the real life inspira- inspiration behind Kirby and how he was, mm-hmm. you know, an attorney and an activist for like civil rights and things like that. And, or you, you can look at my Pokemon piece um, and tying it to like internet culture and toxicity and child stardom. And we we try to approach topics that have a broader lens um but still have that like interesting um analysis that i think like gene and i for example have 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 a good expertise um to 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 tackle those kind of things so I, i i did really love there's a i think it was written by you there's a pokemon sword and shield article as a really great example of yeah like tying gaming minutia to real life trends and i loved how it with, with the new Pokemon Sword and Shield, you're set in the UK, a like approximation of the UK, and you're kind of going around to these little like stand-ins for soccer fields, you know, uh, yep. uh, and there's sporting culture, and like even the music has like people shouting and fanfare kind of sounds, and it, it it does this really interesting approximation of well, what's it like to be the star of like a sporting event like this or something like that, and. I, I guess yeah. There's there's examples like that that really help tell someone like even like my dad who you know has never played a video game in his life understand like well you know Pokemon right but here's what Pokemon is doing different this year that would help you understand like why not only kids but maybe even adults are kind of going crazy over it right exactly yeah no I agree on that do you think Wapo has like a a certain level of responsibility to like I don't know, explore the games industry in terms that wide audience can uh, can understand, but like in depth enough that they're getting a, a whole picture and not a, a truncated version. I, I say this, you know, I use the example of um, Gene wrote a really uh, solid, short but solid piece on Dr. Disrespect was getting like a, a new streaming deal or something. And uh, thankfully, he included a mention of uh, Dr. Disrespect's, uh, for people who don't know, Dr. Disrespect is a, you know, a streamer on Twitch uh, for, for now, and he's kind of got that like 80s action guy mustache and hair, and his whole shtick is basically just being like raunchy shock humor while you know shooting people in Fortnite. And... Uh, he filmed, he live streamed from a bathroom at E3 this past summer, and that just literally, literally a criminal act uh, that he did. He got like banned for maybe a week or something on Twitch, 
slap uh, on the wrist but and that's no, it. Yeah, no, 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 no one. <laughs> there was no arrest, uh, even though like he literally filmed a crime. Uh, and I appreciated that Gene included at least a brief mention of like, hey, here's also this other part of this guy's recent life that you really need to be aware of. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I wonder, of course, one of the problems with especially big legacy media is we just had a piece, I think I think it was like Washington Post, and this isn't, you know, I'm not here to get you to dish on insider work, but uh, they did an article on Elizabeth Warren. Uh, and whatever your politics, uh, it doesn't matter. They, they reported that like she had earned two million for consultation work while she was a Harvard professor. And it's like, ooh, okay, is she like, and literally wrote like, it doesn't really line up with her uh, ideology as a, as a, you know, crusader for the little guy. Uh, But six paragraphs down, uh, it it like had one mention that it was over the course of like 20 or 30 years. Mm -hmm. So like not actually that much money for all things considered. So when we talk about like controversial gaming subjects like Dr. Disrespect, do you guys think that Launcher has a responsibility to include, you know, the details of that that like really help solidify, you know, the image of where the industry is at in regards to be it sexism, racism, just XYZ controversy or, you know, uh, uh, lack of progressivism? Yeah. I, that was a long question. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's, it's a really good question. Um, and I think absolutely, like 110%, you know, I, I think all of us at Launcher are going into it um, thinking a lot in terms of how not just our video game knowledge is going to funnel how we cover games, but also our journalistic expertise, you know? And we have, like, incredible resources with the Washington Post. And we have, you know, a really quality staff. We have this this big reputation, you know? Um, We can get like anyone on the phone, you know, and we can hold people accountable, you know, and and do do that kind of accountability journalism. And I think that's really important, and we don't see that a whole lot in games media. Um, and I think it's something that I'd like to see more of. Um, and I'm excited to be a part of that. And I I think that yeah, I think Launcher is this this unique voice in that space, and and will continue to grow and. I think we have just a, a very solid team that that is capable of of, of bringing that, you know. Um, like I wrote, I, like I broke the news that um, uh, Jeff Kaplan wants the you know Blitzchung suspension completely removed, right? And mm-hmm. like we were able to get some really interesting stories, um, and I'm I'm just very excited to see how that how that grows and continues. That's a that's a great example with Jeff Kaplan, who just notoriously does not do that many interviews if i understand it or at least if he does it's very straightforward uh you know like hey here's here's what's new with the the new hero character yeah. uh in overwatch and uh yeah god great point about wapo is a historic institution for a, a variety of good reasons uh it, it must be something special to say like hi, this is me from the Washington Post. <laughs> and like, <laughs> be, you, you, so, sometimes like I did a, I, I got to go on BBC radio uh, during E3 um, because one of their producers, who was clearly desperate and like needed somebody to come on to talk about E3 for like two minutes. Uh, and I was like, yeah, sure. Pay, pay me whatever. <laughs> uh, and 
you could hear the like actual BBC radio host uh, be like, this is Joseph Noop from uh, IGN and PC Gamer. And I was like, hmm, I wonder what would happen if like I, I had like a Playboy title or a Washington Post <laughs> title, you know, at, at least mom and dad and like half of BBC audience would recognize that, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's interesting also because IGN is huge, you know. It's a huge, yeah, yeah. huge website. Um, but yeah, it's it's weird how much a name can carry, for sure. It, it's it's fascinating, and, and yeah, it's great. If I if I may ask, like when you've been interviewing someone like Jeff or someone else, mm-hmm. like do the, do you think that your subjects are kind of approaching their interviews a little more differently, knowing that you're from the Washington Post and not like goofy fun IGN? Goofy fun IGN. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, you get a, a variety of reactions. Um, sometimes they're, I've, I've noticed a little bit with video game PR reps, um, sometimes there's a little bit of, of hesitation or um, scrutiny, I don't know, um, of like, of you're not a games media, you know, like you're mainstream media, and, and I don't know. Yeah, I, but well, but t- I think I think he I think I think the reason he was so candid was also just partly like lucky timing on my part, you know, um, mm-hmm. and um, and I think and frustration. I, I I don't think he I had to like probe him a little bit on that subject because at first he was kind of like oh, I don't want to talk about you know. Um, how how that how that affected my team and i was like well how did it like personally affect you and then he and then he talked about like his own personal feelings so i don't know um but yeah i I think i think the washington post name does does bring a um a, a different expectation i guess yeah, I, I could imagine like like broader games media, of course, um, especially with writers like you, JV Serial, etc., uh, and all the the various you know features oriented outlets out there. There's a push, of course, to make games media more than just here's the latest trailer, here's the latest like release date news, etc., and really go in depth. Like IGN, to their credit, for for as as goofy and fun a reputation as they might have, or as, as broad a reputation as they might have. Uh, Joe Screbbles, one of the UK editors, just put up a like 10-minute video and like a probably a 5,000-word piece about uh, the lie that helped build Nintendo, and it's like oh, yes. one of the yes. mo- most fascinating little pieces I'd seen out of the website in a long, long time. And uh, uh, glad that like you know stuff like that can still exist. But my point being. Uh, when you're even with this podcast you know when i'm interviewing someone especially someone with like uh, a level of gravitas to their name there's a self-expectation on myself to not just do the like like talking to chris avalone yesterday we were talking about like star wars lore because of course he he wrote uh, jedi fallen order and i didn't want to i didn't want to ask him just general questions of like what's it like to write a video game or something like that and I, I guess ultimately I'm saying that I'm glad Washington Post is writing broadly, but not so broadly that's like, well, what did I get out of that? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it, it it was actually breaking meaningful news to hear someone like Jeff Kaplan say like, oh yeah, the the Blitzchung controversy, et cetera, et cetera. So good on you in that respect. <laughs> Thank you. I think uh, I think we'll wrap up with one little last question here. 
I, I do have to wonder, uh, how do you think Washington Post and Launcher uh, are going to cover some of the bigger like events? Are you, are you guys going to the Game Awards uh, later We're this week? We're not going to be there in person. We're going to be covering it from the live stream. We have to be... We have to really pick and choose about what events mm-hmm. uh, we want to attend in person because of just being a small team. Uh, but we're going to be at, you know, the major stuff. Like, uh, we're going to be at DICE. We're going to be at GDC, um, E3, obviously. Maybe Gamescom, I don't know yet. Um, but, yeah, we've, we've got to be very um, choosy about uh, where to best put our attention. And efforts. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, yeah. Well, we're definitely we're we're definitely talking about that right now, <laughs> uh, and, and looking looking forward to to like 2020 and, and and figuring out our budget and figuring out you know all the different kind of um, events and even like studio visits and things like that that we want to do. And um, you know, I I think we're planning to do a fair bit of traveling. You know, um, so that's exciting. I guess ultimately, like stylistically, is there anything you would want to do different at an event like E3 or GDC now that you have the the WAPO name behind you? Um, hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to answer <laughs> no, that. No, it's fair. I don't know how to answer it, that. It's, but it's, it's only been a few months you've been I, with uh, with WAPO yeah, to begin with, I huh? Think, I think it goes back a little bit to my my comment on uh accountability and i think i think those spaces are 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 great times to network and um talk to different like sources and friends and stuff in the industry and see what kind of trends there are and also talk to people about like different personal experiences and things like that and i i think it's it's a good time to like chase stories um so I think, I think we may go into it with 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 that mentality as well, more so than Game Informer did. Well, hey, I you know I, I guess uh, to actually here's last question for people. You said you guys are working with freelancers. If there's a, a, a lot of this audience who listens to the 1099 or people who work in the industry or want to work in the industry, uh, how how does someone pitch to the Washington Post about games media coverage or, or some sort of uh, games feature? And what are you guys looking for from a freelance pitch? Um, well, okay. So we are looking mostly for uh, feature articles that are based on uh, uh, reporting. So we're not taking essays. We're not taking like editorials and opinion right now. Um, mm-hmm. We're really looking for someone who does like rigorous reporting on a topic that um, hopefully has some sort of cultural tie to it. Uh, I can't, I can't speak really to the to the ones that haven't been published yet. But um, you know, when when we launched, we had an interesting one about like disabilities. Uh, you know. Uh, video games and disability. So mm-hmm. if you can tackle a subject like that and like you have good sources and I mean, yeah, I think um, 
I think that's what we'd be looking for. Well, you heard it there, folks, straight from the the Washington Post itself, what they're looking for if you want to take a crack. I know I know, I will be pitching probably <laughs> uh, something, something eventually here because I, I want that I want Washington Post on my damn do resume, it, do it, do uh, it. Even, even if it's just one story. Uh, and yeah, Elise, it has been an absolute blast to talk to you. I am so glad that you're doing well. And, you know, I, I of course, I'm so excited to see what Washington Post does with you and with Gene and with the rest. Uh, I, it's a good time for video games and it's a okay time for games media, at least, you know, rising from the ashes of, of some bad stuff. So ultimately I'm glad you are doing good and I wish you all the best. Yeah. Thank, thank you so much for having me, Joe. Of course. And folks, every Monday you can find a new episode of the 1099 here on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever else you get your podcast. We're hoping to do a game of the year talk, maybe even a game of the dec- uh, decade talk, uh, hoping to get a couple of really good recognizable friends in on the show uh, for that. And it should be a good fun time. And of course, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Yeah.